Good morning, everyone, and welcome once again to Breath of Pragma. Well, we're wrapping up our series here. We are now in week 23 of Breath of Pragma. And thank you all for listening, and I hope we've been helpful. Uh, we discussed so many things about lung health, and believe me, I, I would say that was just the tip of the iceberg, but it really wasn't even that much. I mean, it was just the beginning. There is so much more to share. My name is Dr. Dennis Daniels, and I've been a pulmonologist, a lung specialist, serving the people of the United States for over two decades. And it's my pleasure to share this information with you and to bring you Breath of Pragma. The song you were just listening to is called Celebrate He Lives by Fred Hammond. And it's a song about the resurrection of our one and only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As you know, it has been my pleasure to discuss matters of lung health with you, but also to take that opportunity to share with you where I believe all science says the very first breath occurred. Where did the very first breath come from? Who was the first human to take a breath? And just to kind of jump right into it, I wanna tell you that there are two opposing forces. And at this point in time, we are really down to just two two options. And those options are there is a creator or there is not a creator. And since we are here having this discussion, automatically at the beginning, we say, well, something created us. We had to come from somewhere. And so there are those who would have you believe that a magic rock showed up out of nowhere and then exploded and created everything from crabs to gorillas to you. They want us to believe that that something just showed up out of nowhere and exploded. And instead of exploding and destroying, it exploded and created. So already the very fact that we're here means that we have to, we, we have to be here. We had to get here some kind of way. And then there's some illogical things that just don't make sense. But here's the kicker. Here's what it boils down to. Because I feel like, you know, when, when you start to get to the end of a series and you start to get to the end of a mission, and believe me, it's been my pleasure and it's been on my heart to share these things with you. But you start to say, well, we have to narrow down. We have to wrap this up. And what it boils down to is you either believe that we are created or you really have nothing that you believe in because a magic rock didn't show up out of nowhere. That's silliness. That's absurd. And here's a big major difference. And discuss this with your church friends, discuss this with your atheist friends, but people who think we came from a rock that showed up out of nowhere and exploded, they don't have a book explaining how that process happened. We do. It's called the Bible. Now, I left a minute of pause there because, and there should have been a longer pause, because the fact is the people who think that we came from a rock that showed up out of nowhere and exploded, and somehow that ended up resulting in water being on earth and only on earth, and all the other conditions that you need for life to occur only being on one planet, which by the way, happens to be the third planet from the sun, 
talk about a sign from the Holy Trinity. There's three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and we're the third planet from the Son. And there's, there's a lot of other little signals like that that just, you know, they seem to fortify your belief but in, in, in the Creator. But at the same time, only one planet has life on it. That's it. We have seen pictures. We've done enough. We've been sending signals in the outer space for decades, and there's been no response. There are no, there's no life on Mars or Venus or or any of the other planets that are all in our solar system. Just this one. And I want to tell you, those who think that the 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 odds are against life forming on this planet. Well, if by chance you happen to believe that there are aliens coming from another galaxy somewhere else in the universe, you also have to believe that the life on that planet began by chance. Because if aliens do show up one day, well, guess what? They had to be created too. There is a creator. Now, you and I have a story that explains how we got here, and it's called the Bible. But those who believe in a piece of dirt that showed up out of nowhere and exploded and created things, they don't have a book that they can believe in. They really don't. And and people who say, well, you know, Char Charles Darwin's book on evolution was, you know, the explanation. Well, Charles Darwin himself said, we don't know how this began. What he saw was adaptation. Human beings live in valleys. And we also live on top of mountains. And those who live on top of mountains have larger lungs than those who live in valleys because there's less oxygen at the top of a mountain than there is in a valley. That's not a completely different species. That is adaptation. So if you move to the top of a mountain, your grandchildren will have bigger lungs than you because they will live in an area where you need bigger lungs and because there's less oxygen when you get further away from the core or the center of the earth, when you get further away from sea level. That's adaptation, not creation. And Charles Darwin acknowledges that. There's more to say about Mr. Darwin. He says in his book, The Origins, The Origin of Species, by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggles, in the struggle for life by Charles Darwin. And I want you to understand that is the title of his book, The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life by Charles Darwin in 1859. So Charles Darwin, a quote from that book reads as follows. It is a truly wonderful fact that all animals and all plants throughout all time and space should be related to each other. Now that's him saying to you in very clear language. He wrote that with, with his full faculties and it's in print forever. And what he is literally saying is that somewhere back down the line, the your great 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 grandfather and by the way this is a very personal thing it's extremely personal in fact because there's a man saying that your great 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 grandfather was a mushroom or broccoli 
or seaweed. And if that sounds absurd to you, well, wait till you start studying plant biology and animal biology and biochemistry, and then you start to realize that we are really completely, I mean, vastly different organisms to the extent that when we find out, find evidence that says there's no way a pineapple is related to an elephant, then what people who try to still force evolution down our throats, they come up with silly things like, oh, well, that's because the elephant evolved from from one type of species or one plant, while the pineapple evolved or evolved from another type of plant. So they want you to believe that a rhinoceros came from seaweed, but a gorilla came from cactus. That's, I mean, this is literally what they teach. And they have no idea how this began, and they can't even explain how it happens. You want to know their greatest struggle? Here's the greatest struggle for people who believe in evolution and who try to argue against creationism. Not once, and I mean not once, have we seen a fly get pregnant and give birth to a bird or a bird get pregnant and give birth to a gorilla. As a matter of fact, I think we've proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that all dog species essentially come from a wolf-like creature or something like or a wolf. So we can prove that the, the, the story told about Noah's Ark is true because we can prove that species, by the way, including humans, can be traced back to really one lineage. Human beings were traced back to one lineage by something called the Human Genome Project. That's when the greatest minds in our, in our, on our planet all got together and took decades to study the human genome, our DNA. And, with the, and the conclusion they came to was that all humans come from a genetic Adam and a genetic Eve. That's literally what they called them. And by the way, the people who worked on this, there were many, many of them who were atheists, probably the majority of them did not believe in a creator. They're just scientists. They don't they don't want to make an argument for or against Jesus Christ or or creation versus evolution. They're just saying, hey, two plus two equals four. And when we study our DNA and add it up, we all came from one man and one woman. That is the scientific conclusion with all the knowledge and all the um, uh, insight we have. Do you know right now they're splicing creatures? Do you know right now that they're trying to reanimate or bring back extinct creatures? Right now they've taken DNA from a woolly mammoth and they've basically somehow impregnated an, an Indian elephant with that DNA in the hopes that that Indian elephant is going to give birth to a woolly mammoth. This is how far we've come in our understanding to the point that we're now trying to bring back to life extinct creatures. That's how much intelligence we have. That's how much knowledge we have. And with all that intelligence and all that knowledge that we have, we have not been able to disprove the Bible. And in fact, the more we study, the more we learn, the more the Bible is proven. But the more things like evolution are proven to be just, just silly. And another thing from, from Charles Darwin, you know, in his Origin of Species book, he says, thus from the war of nature and from famine and death, 
the most exalted object which we are capable of conceiving, namely the production of higher animals, directly follows. I want to translate, translate that into regular, everyday, understandable English. What Charles Darwin said in his book is basically the survival of the fittest. The title of his book says that natural selection of the better race is what his book is titled. I mean, we read it a few minutes ago. And here he is saying with his words that if you have starvation and death, when things die, when people are killed, what grows in its place is a superior race. I want to see anybody who thinks they're superior to a gorilla or a orangutan. I just want you to go ahead and walk into the Congo and fight a gorilla. Beat them. Show me how that gorilla in its natural form is inferior to you in your natural form. Now, mind you, you're not allowed to take a gun that you didn't invent and create yourself. Walk in there barehanded and let them walk up to you barehanded and tell me who's superior. We were all created and we all have learned to adapt in our own environment. There are bacteria that live in freezing, freezing temperatures and bacteria that lives in hot temperatures like near volcanoes. Now, can you do that? Can you survive in a volcano? Does that mean that bacteria is superior to you? If we kill off all humans from heat and like in a thermonuclear war, and then what's left is going to be better than us. That's what Darwin is saying. That's exactly what he's saying in his own words. You understand these are the musings of a man who has misunderstood science. He's misunderstood logic and reason. When it comes to evolution, I want to share some things with you about what happened. So somewhere around 1960, 1963, or between 1960 and 1965, we started teaching evolution in the school. And we started slowly brainwashing our children to take them away from the reality of the truth of, of, of Christian science, of creation. And here's what we've learned since 1963 or thereabouts. The number of teen suicides has gone up from about three per hundred thousand up to about 11 per hundred thousand. And that was in 1990. Now it's thought to be even higher than that. So you understand that within two decades of starting to teach evolution in school, the number of teens that commit suicide has basically tripled, almost quadrupled. When it comes to violent crimes, since 1963, when we started teaching uh, evolution in schools and started reducing prayer in school and saying Jesus and God in school, that the number of violent crimes has gone up 995% between 1960 and 1990 it has gone up almost a thousand percent. Now, this is what happens when we start teaching evolution in schools and stop teaching about our creator and our Lord and our savior, Jesus Christ. The number of unmarried couples 
from 1963 to 1990 has gone up 725%. 725%. As a matter of fact, go back to the 1950s and the number of unmarried couples was so small and minuscule that they only counted those couples every 10 years in the census. You know, but now it's gone up 725%. Now, mind you, these numbers are from, at this point in time, 30 years ago. So, you know, theoretically, if that pattern continues, then, you know, in the first 30 years, the number of uh, teen suicides has gone up uh, three times. Well, that means it's been another 30 years since this data came out. So now you're talking about that it could have now, it could be somewhere around 18 or 20 per 100,000 teens commit suicide. Violent crimes up 995% in 30 years. That means now it's up almost 2,000%, 1,800% in the 30 years since this data has come out. That's what happened when we started teaching evolution and got away from teaching the Bible in school. The percentage of teen girls who had premarital sex, I want you to understand, this is look at the 15-year-olds. In 1960, the number of 15-year-old girls having sex was basically somewhere around, somewhere around three per year. By 1980, that number was above 10. And by 1990, the number of 15 years old, or the percentage, I'm sorry, the percentage of teenage girls having, 15-year-old girls having sex was up to 30%. And that was in 1990. That's what happens when we start telling people there is no God and there is no creator because it's brainwashing. Evolution has no scientific foundation. They are guessing. It is literally a religion. They are making it up. It is just a thought process that they're trying to convince other people to believe in. There is no science behind it. 75% of all children raised in Christian homes who attend public schools will reject the Christian faith by their first year of college. And that is from a video called Let My Children Go by Carol, C-A-R-Y-L, Matrianato. M-A-T-R-I-T-A-O-R-N-O. -O. Now, and this, and this from a company called Jeremiah Films. And you can go to www.jeremiahfilms.com and you can see this data yourself. But this is what happens when we start teaching people that we came from a rock or a mushroom as opposed to teaching them the actual factual proven reality that there is a creator. We have a book. The Bible is a history book and a science book. The Bible has never been disproven. There was a time when people thought the earth was flat, but the Bible said that the earth is round. So people used to try to prove that the earth was flat in order to disprove the Bible. Well, now we have irrefutable evidence that the Bible was right about that. And that process has repeated itself over and over and over. Here at Breath of Pragma, we do want you to have strong healthy lungs you know that's we want you to enjoy your breath of life but the fact is you have to decide when you have that breath of life in your body 
what is it that you're going to do with it? What is it that you that you that you're going to do with that powerful, powerful gift? When you speak, good things can happen. Great, wonderful things can happen. Think about it. You can say, I love you. And that will make someone's lifetime. It will make your lifetime better. Or you can say to someone, I hate you. And it can literally lead to death. In Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 36, it says a sword is upon the liars. A sword is upon the liars. In Exodus with the Ten Commandments, there are four commandments that tell us how to love God, but then there are six commandments that tell us how to love each other. And in those commandments telling us how to love each other, it says, you know, things like, like honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Don't steal. And don't bear false witness against your neighbor. And then it goes on to say, don't cover your neighbor's house and your neighbor's wife. But I just want you to take a look at that. The God who created everything gave us an instruction manual on how we are supposed to live. The God who created everything gave us an instruction manual. And in that manual, he says, don't murder. Don't sleep with married women. Don't steal and don't lie. That's how important it is to God that we don't lie. I mean, is it enough that he actually says there's a sword coming for the liars? In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 19, he says, A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Those are among the things that are an abomination to God. I mean, it, it, it can't be more, more stern than that. In Titus chapter 3, verse 10, it says, it says, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with them, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and is self-condemned. That's what God says about those who lie, about those who try to divide and separate you. Anyone trying to get you to believe something negative about another another human being, I just want you to refer them to Titus chapter 3, verse 10. You can divide the, the Bible into two parts. The part that happened before the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the part that happened after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because after Jesus was, was sacrificed and risen and went to heaven, the rest of the Bible from that moment on tells us how we should live now in this day and age. Rules for living now. And in those rules for living now, God says, stay away from people who are liars. And at the end of the book, in Revelation 21, God flat out says that those liars, those who lie, those who cause division among the brethren, the liars, he counts them with murderers, with sorcerers, literally evil demons and witches and warlocks. A lot of people don't know, but you if, you if you go to a real church, your pastor will tell you that lying is witchcraft. When you study the Bible, you will see that. And I would start by reading Revelation chapter 21. I think it's verse 6. It clearly correlates the sorcerers and murderers with liars. As a matter of fact, 
He, he says murderers, idolaters, sorcerers, the people who have fear, all of them are going to burn in a fiery, they're going to burn in a fiery lake of sulfur. But he, when he gets to liars, he puts a qualifier in front of it. He says all liars. I mean, he is really letting us know from beginning to end throughout that he can't stand liars. 365 times the Bible says, have no fear. That's one time for every day of the year. There's a guy, his name is Rudyard Kipling. And Kipling wrote, of all the liars in the world, sometimes the worst are our own fears. The Lord who created everything tells you to have no fear. Do not fear. I appeal to you, my, my brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. But here's the one verse that I want you to keep in mind. In Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, it reads, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor messengers, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things about to be, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Be kind to one another, say nice things, and do nice things. Thank you for joining us here at Breath of Pragma. We'll see you next week.